everybody. Welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. I don't know if you've been following this, but we have a wild railroad commissioner race going on. I know what you're thinking. Chuck, I didn't know there was Amtrak in Texas. Believe it or not, the railroad commission is actually who regulates the oil and gas business in Texas. And the candidates are the incumbent who just took a $100,000 campaign contribution three hours after overruling his staff on a disposal permit. That's a little dicey. Unfortunately, one of the candidates passed away in a car accident. I never met Sarge. I heard he was a really great guy, and so that's really sad. Tom's just out being Tom, which of course is Tom. But then the fascinating candidate is Sarah Stodgner. She's a colorful figure. She has a social media presence, and you're gonna learn a lot more about it today. But the thing I think that's missing from the story is She's really smart. She's actually really well informed and she's worked in this area. And so I was thinking how to tell that story and I'm not sure it was a typical podcast. I didn't know if it was a debate of some sort. So what we did is we did this. We did five questions with her, which is a fun little bit that you'll learn about the Railroad Commission, etc. But then I figured out she was smart and she knew a lot working on the Antina Ranch podcast. And so when I was out at Antina Ranch back in December, she and I sat by the fire. We shot some video that we never used in the podcast. So I want you to watch it. So it talks a lot about Antina Ranch, but this is actually the perfect interview for the job of Railroad Commissioner. Tell me what you think. The five questions with my guest, Republican candidate for the railroad commissioner, Sarah Stodgner. Sarah, welcome on. Thanks, Chuck. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Okay. Question one. I'm going to read four statements you must identify the false statement. Statement one, the Railroad Commission is the oldest regulatory body in Texas. Statement two, the Railroad Commission began regulating oil and gas production in 1917. Statement three, through a system of production quotas, the Railroad Commission actually set worldwide oil prices from the 1930s to the early 1960s. Statement four, the system of production quotas was actually copied by OPEC, which is the false statement. I think it's the date when they started regulating oil and gas. Oh, boom. You are correct. They actually started, that was the curveball. They started regulating oil pipelines in 1917, oil and gas production in 1919. Very good. There we go. I learned something new today. That was a good guess, huh? <laughs> One for one. Question two. Who has asked for more drone-restricted fly zones? The Biden administration at the southern border or the Railroad Commission in West Texas? Well, I have no idea how many that the border has requested, but I know that the Railroad Commission got at least one because they got it on us in Crane County. There we go. So you're two for two. Question three. What is the biggest fundamental problem with the current Railroad Commission? A lack of transparency. So they've essentially become a captive agency of the oil and gas industry. Most Texans don't know what they do. And if you're a landowner and you go to get help uh, because of oil and gas operations that are on your land, they are actively adversarial 
to landowners, and that's unacceptable. And eh, you're wrong. The biggest problem facing them is their stupid name, the Railroad <laughs> Commission. <laughs> Question four, George Strait or Willie Nelson? Willie. Ah, correct. Correct. Although George Strait takes it, not that Willie's ever going to die, but if perchance he ever did, George will get it at that point. And that's based purely on my opinion of their live performances, because I've seen them both live, and I could listen to a George Strait CD and close my eyes, and I wouldn't know the difference between a concert and his CD. So I love them both, don't get me wrong, but Willie is a showman for sure. There we go. I've always said the three most underappreciated guitar players in my lifetime are number one, Prince, although I think Prince got his due later after he passed away, unfortunately. Robert Smith of The Cure, because everybody thinks he overdubs that in the studio and he actually plays it. And then three, Willie Nelson is a much better guitar player than he gets credit for. So, agreed. All right, the final question. Question five, hump jack video? What the fuck were you thinking? I guess I should maybe explain it first for those that don't know, but I hold made on, my mother. Own... Hold on. My mom needs to cover her ears right now, but go ahead, Sarah. No, mom, we need to free the boobs. Let me tell you, I made my own big day commercial last Sunday, the day before early voting started. And I might have been on a pump jack with pasties, underwear, cowboy boots, and a hat on. And I might have uh, filmed it with a drone and compiled it into a five-second ad with Sugar Hill Gang playing in the background, telling people to go jump on it and vote. <laughs> and uh, while I appreciate that, was there actually some method to your madness or uh, that was that? No, I mean, absolutely. And I think... I've had three different interviews today with various news outlets. So I think there's going to be more traditional press coverage going into my whys. But basically, we need more than a million people to show up to the primary. We need people that don't know what the Railroad Commission does to get involved. We need them to research it. I need voters in Texas. I had to have some clickbait to get some attention, to get the press coverage, to actually say, okay, now that I've got your attention, let's talk about the real issues. Fair enough. Sarah, you're brave to come into the five questions. Anytime, Chuck. Hey, Sarah. Hey. How are you? Good. Okay, good. You're fucking smart. Thank and you. you don't get credit for that. So walk me through your background. How do you become a lawyer? And tell me about your practice. Because I think you need to get credit for that. Okay. And you don't right now. It is at least my sense from some people. So, yeah. So, like, I was always a gifted and talented kid. I sat on the front row. I always had my hand up. I talked too fast. Uh, I was always very gregarious. Where I, is this that you're doing this? So, I was, born in, I was born in Huntsville, Alabama. My parents were high school sweethearts. Nice. They had me 10 years into their marriage. Uh, my dad's an aerospace engineer. My mom's a nurse. They moved to South Florida. My dad was a Pratt & Whitney. He's a rocket scientist. Right. Um... In South Florida, I go to kindergarten. Uh, we moved to we moved to Southern California in first grade ish. Um, then my parents get divorced about fifth grade. 
we, my mom moves us back to Alabama, so I go to middle school and high school in Alabama. So I have a kid that's been living in Southern California with capri pants. This is 1996. Capri pants are like, and I have these baby blue capri pants, and I love them. And I come in thinking I'm like the shit, and everyone's like, "What the fuck is she wearing?" Right. Um. Mom, I graduate. I yeah, I graduate. Um, seventeen. I go to LSU. I thought I wanted to be an engineer. I took calculus my senior year of high school. Realized I hated it. I loved economics. Okay. Uh, had had thought about going to Tulane or Washington University to do biomedical engineering. Get to calculus. Right. Like, ah, we got to integrals and I was just done. Yeah. And really, had been told my whole life that I should be a barracuda litigator because I could argue with the best of them. Right. And so we tell my daughter Sarah every day, please promise mommy and daddy that you won't be a lawyer. <laughs> she's so good at it. But go ahead, so I get it. Yeah, um, I mean, look, a law degree opens up so many doors, right? You don't right. have to practice law. But yeah, so I don't know. What do you What do you major at at LSU when you go? Economics, basically. Okay. I had a BS in international trade and finance. Okay. So it was all the econ based. I graduate in three years, have a scholarship. That's why. So, anyways, decided I don't want to be an engineer. LSU sends me a letter and they're like, hey, with your AP scores and stuff, you can come do spring testing. So I basically, I graduated in three years. Okay. And my parents had $50,000 saved for college and they were like, here. So I graduated debt free from undergrad. I had to take out loans for law school. But met a guy, uh, stayed in LSU, thought I wanted to do environmental lawyering. Like I've always been kind of intrigued by the dynamic of man versus nature and like that balance that we have to kind of dance yeah. with. And um, yeah, so anyways, went to LSU, loved it, graduated in three years. I get it, Rouge is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And met a guy, got married, uh, stayed for law school, uh, started out Jones Walker in Baton Rouge. Got rid of the boy, moved to New Orleans, met a new boy, <laughs> stayed in New Orleans for a few years. We moved out to West Texas together in 17, and I have a seven-year-old daughter. And he quit oil field, he was an executive, and he's working for a nonprofit duck organization now, back oh, nice. in Louisiana. And we're just like... So what kind of law are you practicing out? through your career? So what year did you graduate law oh, school? So, oh wait, so you've been practicing law, call it, what, 13 years now? Yes. And walk me through who you were with and what kind of cases you were working on. Yeah, so I started out Jones Walker and their toxic tort litigation. So I was representing uh, more downstream guys having releases. And then, you know, like one Lake Charles facility has a methyl ethyl bad stuff sprays and everyone throat sore for a few days and they get the sniffles and Wells Watson picks up the case and you've got hundreds of plaintiffs. And so I learned on those cases. Right. I, you know, I was deposing plaintiffs and stuff like that. Um, and then really enjoyed that. And then when I moved to New Orleans, the partners that were doing that in New Orleans were retiring and I was a young baby associate and there was nobody like my age now to take over. And so they started putting me in banking work and just, I, I'm not, a super detailed person like I'm like yeah those numbers look fine like I don't do title work for a reason right right know your strengths and um, yeah and then went to was like I don't like this had loved Carver Darden which was another New Orleans firm you know Jones Walker's now national but right. Carver Darden was a, a small regional firm about 30 guys 
and was there a few years, had a great mentor. That's where I really started my blowout experience. So I represented operators in, in suing their insurance companies when their well control policies didn't pay. Gotcha. Yeah, no, because New Orleans, not so much today, but boy, back in the day, I mean, that was the offshore capital. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Lafayette, all through there, right? And then yeah. the, the, the crash of the 80s never really came back. Yeah. And then Katrina was just like the nail. Katrina right. Rita was just like nail and coffin. Yeah. No, I mean, I and Corbello. Right, like the Corbello case and the, the legacy litigation, which is kind of what brings us here. Right, right, like that all changed the landscape of oil and gas in Louisiana forever. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think people appreciate that when oil and gas crashes, Houston winds up doing really well. And the reason Houston does well is because you shut down your New Orleans office, you fire half the people, but you bring half the people back to Houston. You know, so the the home yeah, office is consolidated. Yeah. yeah, we've been condensing, and so New Orleans, Tulsa, to you know, all the like has been condensing out. So when you move out to West Texas, who are you working for? Carver Darden. Okay, and what kind of stuff are you doing out here? Same thing. Same I'm, thing. I'm doing master service agreement negotiations, litigating insurance coverage issues, really helping operators, service companies understand, contract, mitigate, and then litigate when necessary risk. Right. Right. No, I totally get that. So, you meet Ashley. As Ashley tells the story, you meet, you go to an EFT happy hour, you're hanging out, you figure out you like each other. Going well, I was like giddy. It was like like a new relationship, like you know, you have, like, a new boyfriend. But it was just like a female, another like strong, smart female. And we just right. instantly bonded. Yeah. yeah, and so it was kind of like, I'm going through a divorce. Hey, you can live here. I need help on the ranch. It was There's just the universe. Yeah. Yeah. And so Ashley gives you big props in what we just filmed. So I'll go ahead and just fess up to you, that you were the one that were that right, wrong, or indifferent was putting together. No, no, no. Some big shits. Oh, yeah, here. for sure. They this thought I was crazy. Spill. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. Like, I was seeing pressures on the brain. I, remember, I had cut my teeth litigating really complex tertiary recovery well control incidents. I understand subsurface cross communication. I understand what a reasonably prudent operator is supposed to be doing when really bad shit happens because I represented them in the past. Right. Like I know how it's supposed to be done. Right. And uh, and so walk us through the first phone call, the first moment or whatever where you went, oh shit, something bad is and when I say bad, I mean capital B-A-T. I mean bad wrong. Right. Something bigger is going on. Okay, so Monday, June 7th, it was Jeremy's birthday. Who's Jeremy? Uh, my baby daddy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, my daughter, my, my, I, we're still married, but yeah, like my complicated husband. Right. right? Um, so I was out here um, by myself and... Sorry, you hear the coyotes? I do hear the coyotes. Um, so I'm out here by myself, and uh, Chevron has agreed, because we've been like looking at some just surface stuff, right? Like we'd seen the mesquites dying, you've gotten into right. all that. And so we reach out, because Ashley's like, oh, Chevron operates this, you know, this part of the ranch. It's not right. that bad. The south side's really bad, but this is, this is Chevron, it's good. Right. 
And I look at the tank battery and I'm like, that says pits. That doesn't say Chevron. Chevron doesn't. And she's like, well, when did that change? I'm like, I don't know. We got to look into it. Let's figure it out. Right. So we get into the Railroad Commission website and everything's still pending, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's only been two months. We figure it out. We reach out. Pitts sends uh, a couple of their guys and Chevron sends their lawyer, a lawyer, and they have many, a lawyer <laughs> and uh, an HSC person from you know, their environmental health and safety. We come and look at these few spots and they're like, yeah, okay, we agree. These look like they probably have some issues. We will explore and clean up to the extent. But how do we get there? So you're just driving around and you see some black stuff on the ground and go, somebody ought to look at that? What, what causes the phone call of guys come out and look at this? Yeah, well, I basically, Ashley and I were riding around. I started seeing anomalies on pressure gauges Okay. So I, I suspected that the when I asked the pumper on the south side, things like, we, she just wanted me to look, right? Yeah. She's like, you know oil field, I don't really know. I, right. She's like, I'm in the business, but I've been in Manhattan, right? Like, I haven't right. been uh, out here not enjoying the ranch or doing cattle stuff. I haven't been looking at wells. You understand wells. And I was like, yeah. So I came out, I started looking. Well, I know enough to know I don't know, Yeah. right? And so I start seeing things. So I've got people like Bill Birch, I've got other industry experts, and I start consulting and being like, hey, what do you think about this? They're like, yeah, no, that's kind of weird. Right. So that Chevron comes out, that's Monday. Tuesday, Craig Stahl calls me, that's their lawyer, at Haynes Boone, who is not the one that came out. And he says, hey, we, we will make sure that everything is cleaned up. We'll do the right thing. Chevron will do the right thing. I'm like, great. Call. So I follow up in an email. Thank you so much. You know, for calling me and telling me this. I mean, Dick used to record his voicemails from them. He didn't trust them. Uh, Ashley's dad. Okay. Yeah. So we've got like voice recordings of the uh, of the voicemails that they left him when they flushed crude in the toilet originally, and they were doing all their investigation then. And so he right like right. So they come out whatever. I I sent an email and I said you know. You guys have superior knowledge of the field. These are just a few of the things. This is in no way comprehensive. And I am still going, and literally I've visited every single well site, PNA or active, or have tried to, like if there's a few I've missed, but it's something like 247 GPS spots that I have personally recorded on this ranch. Right. And six months later, they haven't done shit about it. And two days later, I get a call from the Pitts guy, you see the video, he sends me that. I'm actually at the Bennigan's with another client meeting on something when I get a text from Ash saying, hey, I think we might have a failed P&A, and he sends me that. And so I come and meet him, I'm like, huh, this is weird. And he goes, I've already called the Railroad Commission, they're coming out in the morning. Right. And I was like, great. So then I come back. And I email Chevron and I'm like, hey, Craig, um, you know, FYI, this is what's happening. This is a plugged Chevron well. We're meeting the Railroad Commission in the morning. Would you like to send someone out? And he's like, no, fuck you. It's not our responsibility. Right. Sign PSA. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, I guess you're not familiar with what the law says about the responsibility of the operator that plugged the well. But regardless, um, so the next morning, the the Railroad Commission sends an inspector out and a geologist, and they have a mud scale. 
and they weigh the water and they say that it's 10 pound brine. So long story long, the big bad BAD was, holy fuck, this is flowing kill weight brine. I understand when you use, like you pump calcium, this is fully saturated. You, if water, I can't remember, it's the exact, it's like eight point something, is eight point something pounds per gallon is the weight of fresh water. This is fully saturated, it can't hold any more solids. It's 330,000 perch per million of salt at this point, right? right? Like my operator that I represented before pumped millions of dollars in calcium chloride into a CO2 field to try to kill the entire system basically. And you don't use mud because you want it to flow and not clog right. the porosity, right? right? So I know all these things from prior experience and I was clicking in and I'm like, well in the meantime we'd already hired Ray, uh, the hydrogeologist, to investigate why some of the like trees were dying, why the wells tasted saltier, like some other stuff was going on that we couldn't explain yet. Make sense? Well, so Ashley and I were talking and there's a concept in sports called the eye test. Yeah. Like somebody will put up 30 points in a game, 15 rebounds, 12 assists, and you go, if you watch that game and you, before you saw the stats, you said, holy cow, that guy or gal dominated the game. That's the eye test. If you read the stats and go, that person scored 30 points, i.e. the eye test, I've always said that about engineers because I'm not an engineer. Right. I mean, political science, MBA, and finance have never had any engineering, but you can sit there and listen and piece things together and go, that's not right. That's the eye test. Yeah. And a lot of when Ashley and I first did the podcast, because literally I'd never met Ashley until she came on the podcast, and just the bits and pieces she was saying, I was like, the eye test here is there's a big massive just blowout going down. And in fact, I've got a text, and we'll edit this out if he doesn't want me saying this, but Bomber and I were texting about this, and I go, Dude, trust me, I've been in oil field long enough that when all of that stuff's happening, it's a big bad blowout and I hope I'm wrong. Fuckery is a muck. Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. And so, so you're the one that picked up on it um, and maybe the way to phrase this, correct me if you think different is, you're the one that said, that's a fucking onion and we just peeled off one layer. And you've been sitting there leading the, Ashley gives you total credit for peeling the onion. Well, but I mean, we're a good team, right? Like I, and this is beyond me. This, I'm like, I keep saying this is the universe. I firmly believe that this is like, there have been pulls, if you believe in God, whatever, but there is like a greater force putting the right people in the right place so that we can prevent what happened to Louisiana from happening to Texas. Yeah. And like, it gives me chills to think about it. But the first time I was on a ranch, I was like, you're the next Corbello, which is a Louisiana case from 2005, we've talked about. They got 200 something million dollars from a major and pocketed the money. And then the legislature had to come in and go, no, 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 if you've got crazy contamination, you actually have to spend a little bit of money to fix it. Right. And so then you have, you know, everything's responsive. No, let's get ahead of it. Like, let's fix it from the inside. And this yeah. is a unique opportunity to do that. And we were talking before the camera started rolling. I actually think now that we've spent all day here, we've seen stuff, we'll go back and edit and figure out how to piece this together. But I honestly think the title of this piece is going to be 31.69. Yeah. 
And <laughs> what that refers to oh, yeah. is, is it the SS-20? Yeah. Yeah, the SS-20, they claim that it's spilled 31.69 barrels. One, we've got footage from out there, it's sand. We could spill a hundred barrels out there and it'd be gone in two seconds. Right, I tell, I mean, you've seen the video of the Chevron guy after they dug the wellhead up, right? Yeah. They finally showed up. And I was like, are you gonna call a vac truck or something? Like, this is where the red bucket came from, yeah. right? I was like, are you gonna call a vac truck or something? He's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So then he gets the vac truck out there and they suck it up and then he goes to leave and I was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, this needs to be constantly sucked. Have you ever been to the beach? It's a sandcastle and you try to build your moat and you pour water and yeah, and it'll, it'll hold a little bit because you fully saturate it and you get enough yep. of a hydrostatic head to hold a little bit of pressure. But it all goes down and where do you think this is going? It's going straight into our groundwater 50 feet below us. Like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. Like, Well, and my whole point about that is if it's 31.69 in terms of barrels that were dumped, guess what? It wouldn't have even been out there. I mean, they couldn't get across there for two days. Right, right. I mean, which yeah, is just the oil field is infamous for funny, you know. It's sixty-nine. Ha ha ha. Yes, we yeah. all have a middle I'm, school child, a middle school boy built in. I peaked. I peaked in sense of humor at age thirteen. So I actually, right. I actually respect the young landman doing that. The thing that gets me is what, and I told Ashley this, I did not expect to come out here and find the conspiracy continuing. I th what I thought happened out here is practices in the 70s, 80s, and 90s were just different, and they probably cut some corners, and the people that did all the bad stuff are dead, and now you just have a lawyer defending liability, and that's happening. I mean, the fact that anybody associated with Chevron can back up that report at 31.69 barrels is just smoking dope. I mean, that's funny. That, it's funny that like that's your that's the straw that broke the camel's back for you. And it, and I wouldn't say it's the the straw that broke the camel's back. It's the eyeball test. Yeah, right. that, that is your, that was my eyeball test going. Oh my god, how could any reasonable person? And they continue to there? cling to it, right? Yeah, and the fact. The fact that somebody at Chevron didn't go, dude, you can't put 69 in a report, and oh, by the way... Or you can if we were actually measuring it. But when you're out here <laughs> right, with the BOP, yeah. I'm like, what are your barrels in? Basic well control, right? I am supervisor, well control certified. I spent five days going to well control supervisor school. Like, I passed the test, right? Like. Yeah, like, how do you know? I'm like, I fucking did it, dude. I could, I could qualify. Like, I could go drill wells if I really wanted to. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, uh, but it's like barrels in, barrels out. Basic well control stuff. They're not measuring any of that out here because they're not drilling. It's not a new drill, right? This is a, a, a pulling unit, a workover of a, of an existing well, and they are literally out there with like a screen sifting. I mean, I have the cement. We'll have to get a video of that later. Of, uh, I was like. How do you know if you've deviated out of the hole? How do we know if we're in formation? And he's like, oh yeah, you just, it's the cement test with coffee, and you, it turns green. Okay, there's some chemistry thing. Fine, cool. Right. We actually have tests for this too, though. You're fucking Chevron. And they come out and they're like, oh, we've spent millions of dollars. Like, like I'm sorry you're inefficient. I'm sorry you're wasting your money on things that you should not be. And that's the fundamental problem. 
So you know where the eyeball tusk is on this mm -hmm. point? Uh, is, okay, since it's 31.69 barrels, what time of day did the leak start? Right, right. Right? right. And if you knew at that time of day the leak start, why, did why is the foreman calling you saying, hey, there's a leak starting? I mean, this is the most absurd thing to me. And this is like, I, from what I understand from y'all, I have an independent being right. verified, but hires up at Chevron are saying, no, it's 31.69. And look, I will give you, we have access with literally thousands of pages of documents. And originally what we were going to do is put them all in a, like an online Dropbox and have a website. We, we bought CVX Blowout, zombiewells.com, right? And I was going to have like a choose your adventure for technical nerds. And be like, here's a map, interactive map. Like we're creating it, our own GIS, right? We've got GIS and we're putting coordinates in and I can pull it up and I can show you my notes from different and we can look at our photos and the different times, right? Like we can create, the story's all there. I asked Ashley this question and got her answer. I'm gonna ask you the same thing to see what your answer is. What is resolution? Because Ashley said multiple times today while we were driving around, I, I just want them to do the right thing. I said, what was the right thing? In your mind, what's the right thing? For Chevron? Yeah. What puts us to bed? Okay, you as the attorney, what would you take to Ashley and say, this is acceptable, please sign it? We will, we will publicly support you in fundamentally changing the way that this industry is regulated. We fucked up. There's everyone's fucking up. Yeah. And instead of trying to like DuPont Teflon it, we say this is bigger and more important than profit. And we fundamentally change the way the industry governs itself. You've got a uh, you've got a bigger goal, I think, than Ashley. For sure. Yeah. I mean, this is like my whole life work. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's her family legacy, but right, like this is. I have been so frustrated. I've been wanting to use blockchain for contracts and get rid of all of the bullshit, right? Right. But. Mediocre people are scared of being irrelevant. Yeah. What would you say to the criticism that, yeah, you're just using this because you want to be railroad commissioner? I fucking don't want to be railroad commissioner. I'm just the best person for the job. Yeah. You know what? And I'm not... And if, listen, if, if Tom Craddock and Christy Craddock step down, I'll withdraw. Christy... Wayne, Wayne doesn't, Wayne steps down, Christy says she won't seek re-election, and Tom Craddock says he won't seek re-election, I, I won't run. The, and like I said, we've spent, I don't know, eight, ten hours together and stuff, I feel like I'm a decent judge of character and an aide. You honestly believe that. And I'm not, I'm not in the business of endorsing candidates, and I'm not endorsing you and all, but I think you actually mean that when you say that. I do. Yeah. Thanks. So if you want to learn more about Sarah, she actually came on another Digital Wildcatters podcast, Tripping Over the Barrel with T. Lowe and Dr. Funkenstein. 
excluding their names. They're actually pretty sharp, and it's a thoughtful interview about where she stands on certain issues. Go check it out.